The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution. Book 2, Nancy. Chapter 6, Bouillet at Nancy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 2, Chapter 6, Bouillet at Nancy. Haste with help, thou brave Bouillet, if swift help come not, all is now verily burning, and may burn, to what lengths and breadths? Much in these hours depends on Bouillet, as it shall now fare with him, the whole future may be this way or be that. If, for example, he were to loiter, dubitating, and not come, if he were to come and fail, the whole soldiery of France to blaze into mutiny, national guards going some this way, some that, and royalism to draw its rapier, and sansculottism to snatch its pike, and the spirit of Jacobinism, as yet young, girt with sunrays, to grow instantaneously mature, girt with hellfire, as mortals in one night of deadly crisis have had their heads turned grey. Brave Bouillet is advancing fast with the old inflexibility, gathering himself unhappily in small affluences from east, from west and north, and now on Tuesday morning, the last day of the month, he stands, all consented, unhappily still in small force, at the village of Fruard within some few miles. Son of Adam with a more dubious task before him is not in the world this Tuesday morning. A weltering, inflammable sea of doubt and peril, and Bouillet sure of simply one thing, his own determination. Which one thing, indeed, may be worth many. He puts a most firm face on the matter. Submission or unsparing battle and destruction, twenty-four hours to make your choice. This was the tenor of his proclamation thirty copies of which he sent yesterday to Nancy, all which we find were intercepted and not posted. Nevertheless, at half-past eleven this morning, seemingly by way of answer, there does wait on him at Fruard some deputation from the mutinous regiments, from the Nancy municipals, to see what can be done. Bouillet receives this deputation in a large open court adjoining his lodging, Pacified Psalm and the rest attend also, being invited to do it, all happily still in the right humour. The mutineers pronounce themselves with a decisiveness which to Bouillet seems insolence, and happily to Psalm also. Psalm, forgetful of the Met's staircase and sabre, demands that the scoundrels be hanged there and then. Bouillet represses the hanging, but answers that mutinous soldiers have one course, and not more than one. To liberate with heartfelt contrition Messieurs de Noux et de Massagne, to get ready forthwith for marching off, whither he shall order, and submit and repent as the National Assembly has decreed, as he yesterday did in thirty printed placards, proclaim. These are his terms, unalterable as the decrees of destiny. Which terms, as they, the mutineer deputies, seemingly do not accept, it were good for them to vanish from this spot, and even promptly, with him too, in few instants, the word will be forward. The mutineer deputies vanish, not unpromptly. The municipal ones, anxious beyond right for their own individualities, prefer abiding with Bouillet. Brave Bouillet, though he puts a most firm face on the matter, knows his position full well. 
how at Nancy, what with rebellious soldiers, with uncertain national guards and so many distributed fusils, there rage and roar some ten thousand fighting men, while with himself is scarcely the third part of that number in national guards also uncertain in mere pacified regiments, for the present full of rage and clamour to march, but whose rage and clamour may next moment take such a fatal new figure. On the top of one uncertain billow therewith to calm billows. Bouillet must abandon himself to fortune, who is said sometimes to favour the brave. At half-past twelve, the mutineer deputies having vanished, our drums beat, we march, for Nancy. Let Nancy bethink itself then, for Bouillet has thought and determined. And yet, how shall Nancy think? Not a city, but a bedlam. Grim Chateau Vieux is for defence to the death, forces the municipality to order by tap of drum, all citizens acquainted with artillery to turn out and assist in managing the cannon. On the other hand, effervescent regiment du Roy is drawn up in its barracks, quite disconsolate, hearing the humour psalm is in, and ejaculates dolefully from its thousand throats, La loi, la loi, law, law. Mestre de Camp blusters with profane swearing in mixed terror and furor. National guards look this way and that, not knowing what to do. What a bedlam city, as many plans as heads, all ordering, none obeying, quiet, none, except the dead, who sleep underground, having done their fighting. And behold, Bouillet proves as good as his word. At half-past two, scouts report that he is within half a league of the gates, rattling along with cannon and array, breathing nothing but destruction. A new deputation, municipals, mutineers, officers, goes out to meet him with passionate entreaty for yet one other hour. Bouillet grants an hour. Then, at the end thereof, no denouement or malsaigne appearing as promised, he rolls his drums and again takes the road. Towards four o'clock the terror-struck townsmen may see him face to face. His cannons rattle there in their carriages. His vanguard is within thirty paces of the gate Stanislas. Onward like a planet, by appointed times, by law of nature. What next? Lo! Flag of truce and chamade, conjuration to halt, Malsania and Denou are on the street, coming hither, the soldiers all repentant, ready to submit and march. Edmantine Bouillet's look alters not, yet the word halt is given. Glad a moment he never saw, joy of joys. Malsania and Denou do verily issue, escorted by national guards, from streets all frantic with sail to Austria and so forth, they salute Bouillet unscathed. Bouillet steps aside to speak with them, and with other heads of the town there, having already ordered by what gates and routes the mutineer regiment shall file out. Such colloquy with these two general officers and other principal townsmen were natural enough, Nevertheless, one wishes Bouillet had postponed it and not stepped aside. Such tumultuous, inflammable masses tumbling along, making way for each other, this of keen nitrous oxide, that of sulphurous fire-damp, were it not well to stand between them, keeping them well separate till the space be cleared? Numerous stragglers of Chateau Vieux and the rest have not marched with their main columns, which are filing out by the appointed gates, taking station in the open meadows. 
National Guards are in a state of nearly distracted uncertainty. The populace, armed and unarmed, roll openly delirious. Betrayed, sold to the Austrians, sold to the aristocrats. There are loaded cannon with lit matches among them, and Bouillet's vanguard is halted within thirty paces of the gate. Command dwells not in that mad inflammable mass which smoulders and tumbles there in blind smoky rage, which will not open the gate when summoned, says it will open the cannon's throat sooner. Cannonade not, O oh friends, albeit through my body, cries heroic young Desile, young Captain of Roy, clasping the murderous engine in his arms and holding it. Chateauvieux-Swiss, by main force, with oaths and menaces, wrench off the heroic youth, who, undaunted, amid still louder oaths, seats himself on the touch-hole. Amid still louder oaths, with ever louder clangour, and alas, with a loud crackle of first one and then three other muskets, which explode into his body, which roll it in the dust, and do also in the loud madness of such moment bring lit cannon match to ready priming, and so with one thunderous belch of grape-shot blast some fifty of Bouillet's vanguard into air. Fatal! That sputter of the first musket-shot has kindled such a cannon-shot, such a death-blaze, and all is now red-hot madness, conflagration as of Tophet. With demoniac rage, the Bouillet vanguard storms through that gate Stanislaus, with fiery sweep sweeps mutiny clear away, to death or into shelters and cellars, from which latter again mutiny continues firing. The ranked regiments hear it in their meadow, they rush back again through the nearest gates. Bouillet gallops in, distracted, inaudible, and now has begun in Nancy as in that doomed hall of the Nibelungen, a murder grim and great. Miserable, such scene of dismal, aimless madness as the anger of heaven but rarely permits among men. From cellar or from garret, from open street in front, from successive corners of cross-streets on each hand, Chateau Vieux and patriotism keep up the murderous rolling fire on murderous, not unpatriotic, fires. Your blue national captain, riddled with balls, one hardly knows on whose side fighting, requests to be laid on the colours to die. The patriotic woman, name not given, deed surviving, screams to Chateauvieux that it must not fire the other cannon, and even flings a pail of water on it, since screaming avails not. Thou shalt fight, thou shalt not fight, and with whom shalt thou fight? Could tumult awaken the old dead, Burgundian Charles the Bold might stir from under that rotunda of his. Never since he, raging, sank in the ditches and lost life and diamond, was such a noise heard here. Three thousand, as some count, lie mangled, gory. The half of Chateau Vieux has been shot without need of court-martial. Cavalry of Maister de Camp or their foes can do little. Regiment du was persuaded to its barracks, stands there palpitating. Bouillet, armed with the terrors of the law and favoured of fortune, finally triumphs. In two murderous hours he has penetrated to the grand squares, dauntless though with loss of forty officers and five hundred men. The shattered remnants of Chateauvieux are seeking covert. Regiment du not effervescent now, alas no, but having effervesced, will offer to ground its arms, will march in a quarter of an hour.
Nay, these poor effervesced require escort to march with and get it, though they are thousands strong and have thirty ball carriages a man. The sun is not yet down when peace, which might have come bloodless, has come bloody. The mutinous regiments are on march, doleful on their three routes, and from Nancy rises wail of women and men, the voice of weeping and desolation, the city weeping for its slain, who awaken not. These streets are empty but for victorious patrols. Thus has fortune favouring the brave dragged Bouillet, as himself says, out of such a frightful peril by the hair of the head. An intrepid adamantine man, this Bouillet, had he stood in old Brolier's place in those Bastille days, it might have been all different. He has extinguished mutiny and immeasurable civil war. Not for nothing, as we see, yet at a rate which he and constitutional patriotism considers cheap. Nay, as for Bouillet, he, urged by subsequent contradiction which arose, declares coldly it was rather against his own private mind and more by public military rule of duty that he did extinguish it, immeasurable civil war being now the only chance. Urged, we say, by subsequent contradiction. Civil war indeed is chaos, and in all vital chaos there is new order shaping itself free. But what a faith this, that of all new orders out of chaos and possibility of man and his universe, Louis Sixteenth and two-chamber monarchy were precisely the one that would shape itself. It is like undertaking to throw deuce ace, say only five hundred successive times, and any other throw to be fatal, for Bouillet. Rather thank fortune and heaven, always thou intrepid Bouillet, and let contradiction of its way. Civil war, conflagrating universally over France at this moment, might have led to one thing or to another thing. Meanwhile, to quench conflagration, wheresoever one finds it, wheresoever one can, this in all times is the rule for man and general officer. But at Paris so agitated and divided, fancy how it went when the continually vibrating orderlies vibrated thither at hand gallop with such questionable news. High is the gratulation and also deep the indignation. An august assembly by overwhelming majorities passionately thanks Bouillet. A king's autograph, the voices of all loyal or constitutional men run to the same tenor. A solemn national funeral service for the Lord Defenders slain at Nancy is said and sung in the Champ de Mars. Bailly, Lafayette and National Guards, all except the few that protested, assist. With pomp and circumstance, with episcopal calicoes in trickler girdles, altar of fatherland smoking with cassolettes or incense kettles, the vast Champ de Mars wholly hung round with black mort cloth which mortcloth and expenditure Marat thinks had better have been laid out in bread in these dear days and given to the hungry living patriot. On the other hand, living patriotism and Saint-Antoine, which we have seen noisily closing its shops and such like, assembles now to the number of 40,000 and with loud cries under the very windows of the thanking National Assembly demands revenge for murdered brothers, judgment on Bouillet and instant dismissal of War Minister Latour Dupin. 
at sound and sight of which things, if not War Minister Latour, yet adored Minister Necker, sees good on the 3rd of September 1790 to withdraw softly, almost privily, with an eye to the recovery of his health. Home to native Switzerland, not as he last came, lucky to reach it alive. Fifteen months ago we saw him coming with escort of horse, with sound of clarion and trumpet, and now at Assis-sur-Urbe, while he departs unescorted, soundless, the populace and municipal stop him as a fugitive, are not unlike massacring him as a traitor. The National Assembly, consulted on the matter, gives him free egress as a nullity. Such an unstable drift-mould of accident is the substance of this lower world for them that dwell in houses of clay. So especially in hot regions and times do the proudest palaces we build of it take wings and become Sahara sand palaces spinning many pillared in the whirlwind and barriers under their sand. In spite of the 40,000, the National Assembly persist in its thanks and Royalist Latour Dupin continues minister. The 40,000 assemble next day as loud as ever, roll towards Latour's hotel, find cannon on the porch steps with flambeau lit, and have to retire elsewhere and digest their spleen, or reabsorb it into the blood. Over in Lorraine, meanwhile, they of the distributed fusils, ringleaders of Mestre de Camp, Beauvoir, have got marked out for judgment, yet shall never get judged. Briefer is the doom of Chateau Vieux. Chateau Vieux is, by Swiss law, given up for instant trial in court-martial of its own officers, which court-martial, with all brevity, in not many hours, has hanged some twenty-three on conspicuous gibbets, marched some threescore in chains to the galleys, and so, to appearance, finished the matter off. Hanged men do cease forever from this earth, but out of chains and the galleys there may be resuscitation in triumph, resuscitation for the chained hero and even for the chained scoundrel or semi-scoundrel. Scottish John Knox, such world hero as we know, sat once, nevertheless, pulling grim taciturn at the oar of French galley in the water of law and even flung their Virgin Mary over instead of kissing her as a pented bread or timber virgin who could naturally swim. So ye of Chateau Vieux tug patiently, not without hope, but indeed, at Nancy generally, aristocracy rides triumphant, rough. Bouillet is gone again the second day. An aristocrat municipality with free course is as cruel as it had before been cowardly. The daughter society, as the mother of the whole mischief, lies ignominiously suppressed. The prisons can hold no more. Bereaved, downbeaten patriotism murmurs, not loud, but deep. Here and in the neighbouring towns, flattened balls picked from the streets of Nancy are worn as buttonholes, balls flattened in carrying death to patriotism. Men wear them there in perpetual memento of revenge. Mutineer deserters roam the woods, have to demand charity at the musket's end. All is dissolution, mutual rancour, gloom and despair till National Assembly commissioners arrive with a steady, gentle flame of constitutionalism in their hearts, who gently lift up the downtrodden, gently pull down the too uplifted, reinstate the daughter society, recall the mutineer deserter, 
gradually levelling, strive in all wise ways to smooth and soothe. With such gradual, mild levelling on the one side, as with solemn funeral service, cassolettes, court-martials, national thanks, all that officiality can do is done. The buttonhole will drop its flat ball, the black ashes, so far as may be, get green again. This is the Affair of Nancy, by some called the Massacre of Nancy, properly speaking the unsightly wrong side of that thrice-glorious Feast of Pikes, the right side of which formed a spectacle for the very gods. Right side and wrong lie always so near. The one was in July, in August the other. Theatres, the theatres over in London, are bright with their pasteboard simulacrum of that federation of the French people brought out as drama. This of Nancy, we may say, though not played in any pasteboard theatre, did for many months enact itself and even walk spectrally in all French heads. For the news of it fly peeling through all France, awakening in town and village, in clubroom, messroom, to the utmost borders, some mimic reflex or imaginative repetition of the business, always with the angry, questionable assertion, it was right, it was wrong, whereby come controversies, duels, embitterment, vain jargon, the hastening forward, the augmenting and intensifying of whatever new explosions lie in store for us. Meanwhile, at this cost or at that, the mutiny, as we say, is stilled. The French army has neither burst up in universal simultaneous delirium, nor been at once disbanded, put an end to and made new again. It must die in the chronic manner, through years, by inches, with partial revolts, as of breast sailors or the like, which dare not spread with men unhappy, insubordinate, officers unhappier in royalist mustachios, taking horse, singly or in bodies, across the Rhine, Sick dissatisfaction, sick disgust on both sides, the army moribund, fit for no duty, till it do in that unexpected manner, phoenix-like, with long throes, get both dead and new-born, then start forth strong, nay stronger, and even strong-guest. Thus much was the brave Bouillet hitherto fated to do, Wherewith let him again fade into dimness, and at Metz or the rural cantonments, assiduously drilling, mysteriously diplomatising, in scheme within scheme, hover as formerly a faint shadow, the hope of royalty. End of Book 2, Chapter 6